Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. I've shared it before, but the one every time I, we sing that song, It Is Well With My Soul, go look up the name Horatio Spafford and the, and the story when he's writing the, the words, the lyrics to that song after he has just lost his whole family. A boat is capsized. In the midst of incredible pain, in the midst of incredible hardship, he writes those words. We need to sing those hymns more. Yeah. Well, I would like to wish all of the fathers in here a happy Father's Day. All right. And we have a little video that we're going to play for you right now. Thank you. My Father's Day gift. Well, not, I mean, this is my wife, but just listening to her sing that song. We had to sing another song because I wasn't, I just wasn't composed listening to those. Really? They looked at me and I said, I need another song. So, I know you don't care. I'm just telling you. Anyway. I know. Here we go. I didn't memorize the words. Should have. No dice? Try one more time. Daddy! You got this. A hug might be. Got this. Come on, you got this. <laughs> you got this. Dear Jesus, you got this. I want to invite you into my heart. I'm glad you enjoyed that as much as I did. What a special day. And uh, since it is Father's Day, we have some gifts in the back in the, in the lobby after the meeting. We have some chocolates and some other goodies that uh, we would hope you'd enjoy. Uh, some other announcements. Ushers, you can get the baskets ready in a second. Uh, we have the 30 days of prayer announcement. Joanne, would you like to make that announcement? This is not about just going through the law every day, pick up the book. What do we pray about just to get through a checklist? <coughs> if there's something that's particularly meaningful to you, pause. Stay there. It does, if you have to stay on that one prayer for a week because that's what's in your heart to do it, then do that. But don't race through it and try to fill some kind of a duty. It's an excellent little booklet that tells you 
details about the Muslim world that honestly, you'll I mean, I didn't know anything. I was ignorant. But now in learning and getting that information, you can pray intelligently and you can get a heart of compassion because you have understanding. So that's, that's my only little two cents I want to Thank get. you, Joanne. Next announcement, we have the summer food drive for Blessings R Us is underway. Please leave your non-perishable food items in the lobby or bring directly to see Joy or Martha for more details. Uh, this Wednesday, want to make a strong push for this. Soaking prayer is at 645. If you've never experienced that or you're someone, you haven't experienced it in some time, we would love, encourage you to come out and be blessed uh, in that environment, the music that's playing, the prayer team that's here. Excuse me? Do you want to tell? Why don't you tell? Soaking, what, soaking prayer. Joanne, do you want to make another announcement about soaking prayer, what it is? In case they don't know what it is, why don't you do that quickly? Putting you on the spot. It is Father's Day, so I'm going to, I'm you know, stepping back a little bit. Okay, so um, for those who have not been to soaking prayer before, or if you need to have a reminder about what soaking prayer is, because after a while things can get very routine, and then you kind of just show up on occasion. So the most important thing to underline about soaking prayer, you come into a room that is set with an atmosphere for you to meet with the Lord. It's about you and him. It's a time to, as James has told us many times, about getting out of the traffic. That's what these Wednesdays are set to do. Get you out of the traffic so that you can meet with the Lord. There's a prayer team here that comes around, and they'll ask if you want prayer, but that's not what we're here for. We're not the, you know, the prayer team is not the, uh, the show here. It's about your time with God, a slow time. The music is here, everything, the whole atmosphere. I'm telling you, Pastor Linda set this whole atmosphere, and it's sustained for many years because I believe it's the Lord's presence that's being cultivated here. And just to come in and soak in that presence, who doesn't need it? I want to see a show of hands if somebody tells me they don't. But um, so that's what it is. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you. Uh, Thursday, we have Ignite and Accelerate. Where are we meeting? It will be here in the church. Uh, after the service, we will have the cafe as usual due to the inclement weather. I think we're, we're going to be inside. And we'll have prayer over here to my left immediately after the, the meeting. Uh, ushers, you can now bring forward the baskets, please. You know, I think is in looking at the tithe and offering this week, Steve, by the way, that was wonderful last week, what you shared and your whole story. I was, got a kick out of that. Uh, I think it's important for us to note that I think sometimes we can say with our finances, when it comes to our finances, you know, I can't afford to tithe right now. I can't really afford to be generous, but at some point in the future, I will. At some point down the road, you know, maybe when I'm making a little more money, then I'll be more generous, then I'll actually tithe. And the danger is, and how insidious this is, is that we just kind of drift along in our, our Christian walk, and we don't even realize sometimes how we're holding on, we're clutching on to things. I could share a quick story with you. A former chaplain to the U.S. Senate, uh, Peter Marshall, was approached by a gentleman in the guy said, hey, look, uh, Mr. Marshall, you know, it's, I'm in a quandary here. Uh, I used to make $50,000 a year, and it was real easy to tithe, but now I'm making $500,000 a year, and it's just really difficult. I just, I, I need a lot of help with this, and Mr. Marshall was like, okay, you know, I, I see your difficult situation. Would you mind if I pray for you? And the man said, of course, I would love that. So Marshall prays, and this is what he says. He says, Lord, I pray that you would actually bring this man's income back down to the place where he can afford to tithe again. I <laughs> thought it was kind of cute. But again, the challenge this morning is may we be a people that really look at our finances, look at our time, and say, are we really being good stewards? Because you know what? Someday will never come. Someday I'll do it. Someday. And we realize, oh my gosh, how much time has elapsed? So ushers, you can pass the bas baskets around, please. Thank you. Teachers, little ones, thank you, worship team. You can make your way over to Kidmo. I know you're upset. You're going to be missing the Father's Day message. 
Just a a quick note, I said it last week, we're in the second part of a a mini-series, a two-part series, Wisdom, play on words there if you're looking up at the screen. We're looking at Wisdom from King Solomon, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, next week is a special sermon here, one that I've never delivered before. If you don't know me and you're new to this church, you haven't been here for some time, I'm also a history teacher, so I have the theology and the history background I'll be delivering a message. It's it, the 4th of July falls on, I think, Sunday, right? Is it Sunday? I, Saturday, I'm sorry. So we don't have, the week after would be July 5th. So I'm doing a special sermon relating to the founding of this nation and looking tethered to the culture that we now live in today. So I've spent a lot of time on that. I don't know if it's going to wind up being a two-part series. I'll know more at the end of the week. But at least I'm going to start that, and I've wanted to do this for so long, and many of you know how I geek out on the history, but I'm going to have a lot of fun next week. So uh, to give you a little uh, heads up on that. All right, for this week, now let me pull out my little little visual here today. All right, if you remember nothing else from the sermon today, I hope you remember what we talk about here with this jar. Now, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, uh, Pastor Joe and Linda, the pastors are, the senior pastors, are, are not here this morning. Pastor Joe is still recovering from pneumonia. Again, thank you for all the well wishes, the text messages, flowers, food, and all of that good stuff. Uh, they're so appreciative. We are as a family. And what was really interesting, though, my brother and sister, my older siblings, were actually out of, out of state uh, a couple of weeks ago when dad was in the hospital. So there I was with my mom, Megan was with the kids, and I'm in the hospital, and you know, trying to keep everybody abreast as to what was happening, there was a very poignant moment where I stepped outside, and I called my sister, and I wanted to apprise her of of dad's condition and the whole situation, and it was one of those conversations that I'll never forget, because there I was sitting there looking at this 73-year-old man that, since I was a young kid, was always strong, was always tough. Right? And there he was in a hospital bed, and he was sick. And, you know, for, and many of you have walked down this road, but for me, it was really one of the first times in my life where I'm like, what, this, yeah, you're, John Ortberg, it all goes back in the box. At some point, right, every one out of one person dies. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. So I was on the phone with my sister, and we were having a conversation, and she, you know, we both were just going back and forth about, hey, you know what? You don't know. You don't know what tomorrow brings. And I said, you know what, I want to make this Father's Day really special for my dad. I wouldn't be sharing some of the stuff if he was here. So it actually works out that he is sick today, all right? So I can share a couple things that I normally wouldn't. Uh, But what I thought of in making this special, not just for my family, this is for you. This is for all of us. I thought of, and I read this somewhere and kind of adapted this idea. If you look at this jar, two weeks ago, I had a strange request from my brother and sister. I said, hey, if you have some time, I'm giving you like two weeks advance notice. You have homework to do. I want you to come up with as many memories of dad as you can. Come up with as many as you can. Text me these memories. We're going to write them down. I'm going to write them down. I'm going to put them on cards. We're going to put them in a jar. And then on Father's Day, throughout the day, we'll eat, we'll hang out, we'll laugh, maybe cry. Talk about all of these memories. Pretty cool, right? Pretty cool idea. That's what my Father's Day will be today. Sitting around with Dad, Pastor Joe, and opening up these cards and and talking about all these wonderful experiences that we have. Now, some of the things in there, and, and th- the memories, I was flooded with memories a couple of weeks ago, sitting in the hospital, but I was laughing so hard when my brother and sister shared some memories, whether it was my o- older brother, John, and he said, remember when dad, we were younger and dad would fix the lawnmower every Saturday in the summer, he would take it apart, right? And always at the end, there'd be a couple of parts, you know, like just sitting there. And now you know, if you were here last week, now you know why I am not mechanically inclined, why I'm not handy, why many toys get sent to the island of misfit toys not long after Christmas because they're not put together properly. I thought about, like, just his voice. 
I thought about the sounds when he's in the pool. If you've never had a chance to swim in a pool with the man, he makes this weird noise, and he's done it ever since we were kids, and we were reminiscing about that, laughing about that. My sister said, what about when he'd put the yellow pad out in the summertime? He'd go to work, and he'd put this yellow pad out, all the things that we were supposed to do, weeding and what have you. And then for my own life, I was you know, thinking personally, I said, what are some of just my memories, maybe things they don't remember. I remember borrowing his Kuros cologne, right? Getting, preparing for a date, right? I remember maybe borrowing some of his clothes and putting the, his clothes on. I don't really remember going on many dates, but whatever, you know. So I would take these things and all these memories that were hitting all of us, right? All these memories that we had. And I said, he's a 73-year-old man. This is kind of his life, right? These, these things, these memories that we have, this represents at least a portion of a life. And I said last week, to try to help those individuals that weren't here, we were talking about making decisions. This is the second part, making decisions. And as I reflected on many of those cards in there, I said, you know, some of them are funny, but behind many of those cards were decisions that a man made. That he said, you know what? I am going to look to the Lord. I'm going to look to God for wisdom on how to raise kids. I'm going to look to God for wisdom on how to work when I'm in the workplace, in my vocation. I'm going to look to God on how to do, at being a husband, raising kids, financial decisions, relational decisions. That's what I saw. And I said, you know what? For us, this Father's Day... How could we not sit here and look at our own lives? Because one day, one day, by the grace of God, I said, I'm going to be maybe 70 years old, and there will be cards in a jar. Even if my kids don't do this, I am putting memories in here every single day. There are decisions that I'm making, and there are decisions that you're making, not just fathers, but all of us in here. Every single day, we're making decisions. And we said last week, according to the Columbia University study, that we make 70 conscious decisions every single day, 25,000 every single year, and over 1.7 in a lifetime for an individual that lives 70 years. We're making decisions all the time, and that's why we want to be a people that are using godly wisdom when making decisions. I love what Solomon says here in Proverbs 8.1, Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? What is he saying here? Solomon is saying wisdom is not passive. Wisdom does not sit on the sidelines. No, wisdom cries out. Will you be a person that is taking notice, that understands all of the decisions in life? Now, this does does not mean that God is saying, look, I want to take away all pain from you. I want you to kind of outsource your decisions. I want you to just let me, I'll make everything easy for you. No, 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 no. That's not how things work. God wants us to grow. And as we grow spiritually, there'll be many times where we're in situations where we don't really know what to do. Do I go right? Do I go left? And that's why God is saying, you know what? I want you to be a people that have real wisdom to deal with every and any situation that you may face in this world. Solomon goes on to say later on in that actual proverb, he says it in verses 10 and 11. He says, Receive my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. So everything in the world, it's a wonderful proverb, everything in the world, you look at gold, you look at silver, you look at rubies, the the things that everyone wants that our culture tells us to chase after. Solomon is saying, listen, I had it all, I did it all, I was the quester, as Eugene Peterson says, it calls him. I tried everything, I've been everywhere, I bought everything, and listen, at the end of the day, it's about wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is of infinite importance and value, and we need to be a people that understand that and use it. And really, it's, a, it's kind of a learned art. And how do we learn? We learn by practice. We learn by practicing to make decisions, and we learn over and over again. We make bad decisions. We talked about that last week. We don't always make right decisions. We fall, we fail, but you know what? We learn. Hopefully, we're learning from those decisions. And what I thought about with my dad when it came to the jar is there were many times, I think, 
He predecided what he was going to do, what kind of person he was going to become, what kind of father he wanted to be. He didn't just say, you know, when he got home, you know what, maybe I'll play with the kids. Nah, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll get my finances in order. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe No, he predecided what he wanted to do with his life. He predecided the father that he wanted to be, the way he wanted to raise his children. And you know what? That's something we have to do. We need to predecide how we want to live our lives. And Dallas Willard, we said it last week, to reiterate, it's not about the decisions we make, the circumstances we're in. He said it's about the person that we become. God is most interested in the person that we become, and that's what God's after. He wants us to be people that grow in godly wisdom. And then part of that is when it comes to the most important decisions or areas of our lives, temptation, crisis, emergency, or implementing things, he wants us to be a people that know what we're going to do. We know what our values are. We know where our boundaries are. We have predecided these things. We have a compass. Well, it's a moral compass. We know what we're going to do, what we're going to say. Yeah, again, we're going to make mistakes, but at least we know. And listen, you look at this jar again, as we're looking at it for the whole sermon, I would say for my dad, time. I mean, isn't time our most precious resource? Our most precious commodity is the time that we have. And we act sometimes as if we're going to have enough time forever. It's never going to stop. It's never going to end. And we squander the time that we have. May we be a people that really take this to heart, what Solomon is saying about wisdom. May we really look at our time and our resources. And I love uh, John Eldridge writes about this in one of his books. He was with an older gentleman that had helped mentor him. And he said to the gentleman, he said, what were the things that, you're an amazing dad, what were the things that you did to become this great dad and mentor and just a great example to younger men like myself? And you know what the guy said? The guy quipped back and he said, it wasn't the things I did, it was the things I didn't do. Ooh. He said, it was the things at work that I chose not to do. It was the time that I said, you know what, I, I, I can't go to, I'm not going to go to work today. This can actually wait. I need to be with my kids. Financial things that maybe he didn't buy. He said, you know what, I don't want to be in debt. I want to make smart, wise decisions. I don't know how many of you have read the book before. Uh, da, 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 where is the book? Where is, oh, there it is. The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Anybody hear of this book? Fabulous. Uh, the author's name is Bonnie Ware. And in there, she was a, a hospice nurse, an Australian hospice nurse for some years. And she talked about all of her experiences. And she talks about the top five regrets that people have, thus the title of the book. You know what number three was? I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And in her words, every single male that she met, every single one, in her words, every single one said this. That was a regret that was at the top of their list. Not, I wish I spent more time at the office. I wish I didn't work so hard. Wow. Because <laughs> you know what? Sometimes we get so addicted to work. We become so obsessed. How many men can relate to that in this room? Yeah, that's what I thought. Most of you were going to lie, right? Yeah, you don't want to be honest again. There we go, brother, right there. Come on, I'm with you. How hard is this? How addicted we are. But when it comes to the end, people, there's no cure for whatever their condition is. This is what they go back to. They don't care about the office. They don't care about all these things that, that seem so pressing. It's, you know what? What am I putting in the jar? What are my kids going to remember? What are my grandkids going to remember? What are the memories? What's the legacy that I'm actually leaving? That's what the important thing is. And I, you know, I think when you look at the Bible, too, I was having some fun this week. Did you ever look at, like, fathers in the Bible? So I was, like, looking in the beginning, and it's, now, listen, it's real, let me preface it, it's real easy to find bad, you know, f- fatherly figures, like, mistakes that they've made. Just start with Adam, right? The pain and grief that he goes through with his own kids, and you go on, and there's, like, what not to do when being a father? Like, the Bible has a plethora of examples, Right? There's, a, there's a ton of things that we can look at. But there's an example. I want to talk about an example of a guy that was a really good father. And I don't think you've ever heard his name before. I never heard a sermon on him. Kind of read about him on accident and did a little investigative work into his life. 
And this guy's story, let me just give you the background. It's in the book of Nehemiah. And if you don't know anything about the book of Nehemiah, that's fine. The book of Nehemiah is the children of Israel, right? Nehemiah is leading people back to Jerusalem. They're under, they're oppressed and oppressed people. Jerusalem, the holy city has been decimated. It's basically in ruin. And here is Nehemiah. He's coming back and he wants to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem to protect the great city. And this is not going to be an easy task. And in Nehemiah chapter 3, he outlines all of these individuals and and things that they did. And this guy did this, and this guy's on the wall, and this guy's on the wall. And then look at this, look at this. You get to verse 12, and look what it says, 3.12. And next to him, so Nehemiah's writing, all the people that are there, was Shalom, the son of Haloish, leader of half the district of Jerusalem. He and his daughters made repairs. Now, how easy, I'm looking at your faces, some of you are like, end, what does that mean? That's just, that's cool, right? He helped out, wonderful. No, how easy it is to skip over this, but I want you to notice, look what's going on here. You see a man that is helping build the wall. He could have have outsourced this. He's a leader. He's a man of affluence and influence in reading all the commentaries on this. He is somebody that could have said, You, over there, I'm going to pay you some money. Get on the wall and help out. No, he chose to get on the wall, but he's the only one. He doesn't have sons. He has his two daughters that are there. He is the guy. In case you didn't know this, take your daughter to work day. It started in the Bible. How many of you knew that before? You knew that. It started in the Bible. Isn't that kind of cool? So here is this guy, and I want to, like, play this out for you. Imagine what this was like, again, I, I always propagate this idea. I'm always talking about it. You need to have an imagination. There really came a time when this guy is on the wall and he's building. Can't you see him there with his daughters and he's teaching them how to hammer, right? Take the nail and this is how you hammer it in. You, you, you measure twice and you saw once. I know some of you are impressed that I know that. You do those, all these wonderful things. Can you imagine they're sitting there? And the memories that those two girls had, let me tell you, let me tell you, friends. Those memories went in the jar. They went in his jar. And I would think when he was an 80-year-old man that the girls, they looked at him when maybe it was his birthday, and they said, Dad, remember the time that you took us to the wall? Remember when Jerusalem was in ruin and you had us there and you taught us how to help out and we're there on the wall with you? Oh, man, we'll never forget that day, Dad. We'll never forget that time. And then later on to think that his grandkids, their kids, can you see them? And they're there, and, and, and there are the daughters, and they, they point to, yeah, that's the spot right there where we were with dad, your grandfather, and we were up there, and we were making repairs on that wall. Memories and things that go in the jar, and they're there for all eternity. How are you doing with your jar? How are you doing in terms of making decisions I said to myself, you know, even like that, that video that you saw today, you know, you got this. You know, my kids are going to say that to me one day as I get older. Dad, you got this, like home repairs around the house. Megan was saying it to me yesterday, right? It's funny. I mean, I'll do home repairs when I have two daughters. God knew what he was doing. I don't have two daughters, right? God was pretty smart not giving me two daughters, two sons, but it's going to be funny. They probably will be teaching me things as I get older. Dad, I know that you never learned this when you were younger, but maybe we can help you fix this. Maybe, Dad, maybe we can help you put this together. I welcome it. I welcome it. Bring it on. Help me out here. So I love this story, though, of this guy and his daughters. It's, it's just a really wonderful picture, a picture of the uh, memories that they had that were going into the jar. And I love what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, and you've seen this, this passage before, but see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. What is the Apostle Paul saying here? He's saying every moment we're putting something, every decision we make, we're putting something that goes inside this jar. And you know what? When he says the days are evil, it's because we're so tempted to live as if sometimes God is not even real. And you say, what? I know God's real. No, sometimes we can live and be on autopilot and just go through things and not realize that we need him and we need his wisdom 365, 24-7. Yes, the days are indeed evil and we need to be a people 
people that prepare. We need to be a people that are planning. Dallas Willard puts it like this. Willard says, For your time is already in the pawn shop of lost souls. And he goes on to say, what does that mean? That is time lived apart from God. The pawnship of lost souls. And it's funny too, we live in a culture where people say, I, will, I would never waste a penny of my money on something. But then they squander so much time on different things. And you, I'm not talking about work. I'm not just saying work. I'm saying people will waste their time on things that are stultifying, things that they think are so important. And in the whole scheme of things, they're making decisions and they're going inside the jar, but they're really not the most important decisions. The good is the enemy of the best. And remember, there is an enemy that wants to take us out this way for us to just live on autopilot, just go through life, go through the normal routine, the whatever. Yep, this is the routine. This is what I do every day every day. Yeah, I'll come to church. I'll go to this meeting. I'll go to that meeting. I love my kids, all this stuff. And we sit there and we just rationalize all this. There is more for us and we need to evaluate our decisions in light of what the Bible is telling us. And friends, again, where is all of our time going? Now, at this point in the sermon, I could say to you, yeah, make better decisions, right? Make better decisions. As you leave here, I just want you to make better decisions. If you're not making the right decisions as a father or a mother, whatever, whatever it is, just go out there and make better decisions. And you know what? I'd be doing you a great disservice because that is not the Christian life. For me to leave you off like that, and you know what? Hey, that was cool, the jar. I get it. My decisions, I understand what you're saying. But I would say to you, there is so much more when it comes to our decisions. Now, I said again, 70 conscious decisions every day. What am I going to eat? Am I going to read this email? Am I not going to read this email? What does that mean? And by the way, they also said in the research, I never mentioned this, every decision takes on average 10 to 20 seconds, which means we have exponentially, we have so much time on our hands. There's so many decisions that we make that we make by habit. You want to read a great book? Power of Habit. Look that book up. Wonderful. I didn't have time to bring a lot. I don't, it's one sermon. I don't have time to bring a lot of the insight from there, but it's wonderful. But when you look at this, many of the decisions that we make, friends, many of those decisions are kind of made on autopilot. We're not conscious. We get up in the morning, whatever. We brush our teeth. How many of you, right, you go the same way to work? You just kind of drive it reflexively. You're doing things. How many of you are like me this past week, driving Jameson to uh, my, my brother's house, sister-in-law's house, to drop him off for the bus? It's about a seven-minute ride, and there I am. I'm just driving, and I'm almost at Sunrise Highway. John lives in Yapank. He lives, he's before the expressway. So I'm about seven minutes away, and I realize, I look back, and I'm like, oh, Jameson's with me. I totally forgot to drop him. How many of you have lived that way? At some point, you did something, and you're like, oh, my God, I was just so used to the routine that I totally forgot. I see some of you pointing at yourselves. Good, I'm not the only one in here that's done that. But that's how we live. And listen, habits, in some ways, that's how God made us. So that's not a, that's not a, God's made us that way. And things can be habitual. But listen to this. I love this. Habits um, are regular patterns of thinking, feeling, acting, and talking that are mostly embedded in our bodies, in our neurons, Right? Here's the problem with habits sometimes, right? I, there are really two issues. One is that sin is embedded in us, right? Paul talks about this. I don't have time to go into all detail on this. Paul talks about this in detail. One is that sin is embedded in us, in our actions sometimes, right? Number two is, we talk about this all the time, willpower is not enough to overcome the habits, the decisions that we make. Are you following me? Now, I went from Christianity 101. We're going to 401 today. All right? This is, we're going much deeper. So we started out on the surface. Now let's take it deeper where the rubber meets the road. So and the, the big point here is we cannot overcome our habits just by positive thinking and willpower. And we say to ourselves, you know what? Yeah, you know, I can do this. I can change this behavior just by saying to myself, change your behavior. You can't do it. Now, there are certain decisions, right? Things that we, should, that we have to make big decisions that are very important. Are you going to marry somebody? What kind of house? Where are you going to live? All these big decisions, really important, right? But when it comes to certain patterns in our lives, willpower is just not enough to change our behavior. Can I give you an example of this? 
This is why it's self-help literature, and you see it, how prevalent it is. It's all over the place, and how it's really useless. We think, we see it out there, and many people buy into this, that it's positive thinking. It's the secret. Think happy things. Think good things. They're going to come your way. Positive thoughts. You can change this. You can do this yourself. That's the problem with positive thinking. It doesn't work. It may work for a short time. And listen, don't hear me say, don't walk out of here and say, James said willpower isn't good. No, no, willpower is important. It's important to set our will. But to think that we can change ourselves is crazy. We do not change ourselves. There is power from another life that can actually change us from the inside out. How many of you, did you ever have this experience? You woke up and you said, today I'm going to do these things, whatever it is. I'm going you know, to make my list. I'm going to do A, B, C, and D. Right? You've done that before. I'm going to talk the right way. I'm going to watch what I say. I'm going to, you know, I don't know, uh, just when I go to work, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to try to act in a godly way. And then you just totally blow it. How many of you have done that before? You totally blow it. Or how about food? Food's even a better one. Let's really simplify it. How about this? Where you said, you know what, there's no, you go out to a restaurant and you're like, there's no way I'm going to eat something that's really fattening. I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to diet. I'm going to stick to it. And then push comes to shove and the menu gets in front of your face. And you're like, man, that looks really good. There was a cartoon. I love this. I read it this past week. A uh, woman is at a restaurant. Waiter comes over. They all decide what they want. And the lady uh, says, listen, I'm going to order the grilled chicken salad here on the menu. It looks really good. But by mistake, I would like for you to bring out lasagna and meatballs. <laughs> thought it was really good. But I said, how true that is for us in terms of willpower, right? And so many times we fail and we fail and we fail and we fail and we fail. Well, it's a funny thing how that really works in our lives. And I also came across some research that I wanted to share with you in terms that I've, I've never done this before. Um, I'm going to end for the last couple of minutes. I want to talk about Alcoholics Anonymous. And you're like, what? I'm in church. I want to. Yeah, I want to give you the background story because I don't think there's a... I'm thinking about it. And I said, you know what? I could go all theological and give you more verses and, you know, and prove this point and talk about it. But I think there is no better example than to give you the background story of AA. How many of you are pretty familiar with the story? Yeah, some of you know the story pretty well. All right, well, I learned a lot in, in reading this. I knew some of the story, and for whatever reason, I just got so into it. And I said, you know what? I think this really fits, and maybe I'm going off a little bit. It's not as clean as my three-point sermon was from last week, but nonetheless, I hope you get something out of it. And what I want to say about this is, AA, if somebody's an alcoholic, if somebody is addicted to alcohol, how helpful would it be to say to them, uh, you know what? Just try by willpower to stop drinking today. You can do it. Would that be helpful? Come on, help. would that be helpful? No, and maybe it would work for a day. Maybe it would work for two days. But over the course of time, it's not going to really change things. You see, they understood something that was really true. It's not going to change things. And I love what Dallas Willard said. I didn't put it up here. Let me just read it to you. He says, we have to put ourselves in a way of life through which we, we receive power beyond ourselves to do what our willpower cannot enable us to do. Oh, so, can I say it again? All right. We have to put ourselves in a way of life through which we receive power beyond ourselves to do what our willpower cannot enable us to do. Isn't that good? It's rich. And you know, here's the background story. Do you know 80 years, exactly 80 year ago, years ago, almost to the day, Alcoholics Anonymous was started. Now here's the background story that is absolutely fascinating. There was a man by the name of Bill W., Many books have been written about this. This guy hit rock bottom. He was an alcoholic. His wife was done with him. He had, he had been incarcerated, went to prison, uh, was hospitalized four times. His wife said, I don't know what to do with him either. I leave him and he goes crazy. Um, I, I put him back in the hospital. I don't, I'm at a loss. I don't really know what to do for this man. Um, and his doctor was like, listen, I'm done. I don't know what to do for him either. Well, just as it, was, it would happen, he's totally desperate, he's hopeless. Then one day, he meets a man who invites him to come to a group and learn about this Jesus. So here is this guy, Bill W., doesn't know anything about Jesus, 80 years ago, 
decides to actually go with this man. He goes to this meeting. He goes there and he's hanging out, doesn't know anything about these people. It's there he actually comes to become a Christ follower. That's just the beginning of the story. So he goes to the meeting. There are other people there. It actually became known as the Oxford Group. How many people have heard of that? The Oxford Group. Well, there, the, uh, the, the Reverend, Reverend Shoemaker is there, and he's teaching them. And this is a time, incredible self-examination, where they're sharing their lives together. They're helping people in the community. And here is this guy. He's becoming a different person. He's being changed from the inside out. He's meeting with these other men that are there. And his life is changing before his eyes. But it wasn't enough. You see, he realized there was more that had to be done. And it, what happens next is, he was in, a, uh, he was in a, a hotel, and this is in Akron, Ohio. And actually, you know what? I should give you this first. Let me give you this first, because the quote is just too good. This is a quote from what is known as their big book. All right, how many of you are familiar with the big book? Look at this quote. I love this. Look what they have in there. Oops. There it is. I'll go back to that. We are a people who normally would not mix, but there exists among us a fellowship a friendliness, an understanding which is indescribable. We are like the passengers of a great liner, the moment after rescue from shipwreck, which camaraderie, joyousness, and democracy pervade the vessel from steerage to the captain's table. Isn't that good? That's amazing. That's what's in there. And why is that in there? Because this guy understood what he needed. This guy understood, and others that came with him, they understood the need for fellowship in this. They understood that willpower was not enough to change their behavior. So here he is, Akron, Ohio. He's in a hotel, right? It's right around Father's Day, another reason why I'm giving you the story. The next day is Father's Day. His father had left him years earlier, so there's Bill W., and he found himself in a restaurant, and he sees the bar at the end. And something, and everything inside of him wanted to go to the bar and get as drunk as he could. He said everything within me, and he knew he was in trouble. He knew that would ultimately lead to death. He said, I have to do something. It's at that moment, sitting there in the restaurant by himself, and said, you know what? I can just drink my sorrows away. He said, I have to tell my story to another alcoholic. This is, how this, this is really how this started. Talk about, I mean, providence and God, amazing. He winds up going back to his church, goes to his pastor, and says, look, this is what I want to do. I want to find somebody else that I can share my life with, that I can tell my story. They can tell me their story, and we can live together. We can fight this together. I can't do it on my own. Willpower is not enough. So he does, and here's the picture. His church winds up putting him, the guy on the left is actually, uh, that's Bill W., and he finds a guy who become known as Dr. Bob. And here is this guy, Dr. Bob, and they met, but guess what? He meets him through the church. The guy, Dr. Bob, wasn't even a Christian. He heard about Bill W.'s story, and Bill W. wasn't trying to convert the guy, wasn't proselytizing, but you know what? Just talking about what God had done in his life already, this man was so touched and he was so moved, he became a follower of Christ. June 10th, 1935, not that long after, these two started Alcoholics Anonymous, and they went to their church with Shoemaker, and there were people that were disheveled, other alcoholics, other people that needed help, and some people in the church were a little uncomfortable with that. They said, really? You're gonna, these people are going to come in here, and they're going to hang out in the church? They're going to hang out with us? And the pastor was like, yep, they are. This is the gospel. We can't make it on our own. And you know what? We talked a lot about it last week with the Clearness Committee. If you weren't here, a Clearness Committee is where you actually meet with other people and you talk about decisions. You don't fly solo. You say, hey, let's talk about, I have this big decision coming up. Can you help me make this decision because I can't make it on my own? We can't do anything in the Christian life on our own. Why are we trying? Oh, friends, what a story. What is our, let's get back to, and I, I tangential a little bit, and I'm kind of digressing a little bit, but let's get back to the main story here. How are we doing in terms of our jar, your jar? What does your jar look like? What's it going to look like 10 years from now? What's it going to look like 15 years from now? What's it going to be like? And I love, there's a guy, a, a philosopher, my, I promise, my last quote here. His name is uh, Ken Dunnington. 
He's a philosopher and a theologian. He says, of course, many of us are not sure we want to be in a church that so trains us, for that would entail not only our humiliation, but also a vulnerability to others in which many of us have no interest. We are afraid that if we confess our sins, other people might make claims on our lives by insisting on praying for us and asking us how we are doing. Most of us are not sure we want church to be that involved. Wow. Huh. Right on. Dead on. If that's you, that's okay if that's where you're at. You don't want church to be that way. But I can tell you, the 12 steps that are part of AA, you know, they came from, they, they looked at the 12 followers, the you know, apostles, and they said, that, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have 12 steps. We realize we're powerless. We realize that we need other people. How many times we go through the motions, we come in, we say it all the time, we play the game, we play the religion, oh, everything's good, everything's wonderful, everything's good, and we're not real with each other. I'm not saying you go up to somebody you don't know here well and just get real, but I'm saying how important it is, come on, that we really share and we really connect. Come on, don't wait. You know what I said too, one of my all-time favorite books, Tuesdays at Maury. How many of you have read that book, Tuesdays at Maury? Gosh, it takes a couple hours to read it. It was a New York Times bestseller for like four years. And I always say it to my family. And this is what this afternoon for the Lecce family is. It's kind of a living funeral in some ways. Why do we always wait? I'm so sick of going to funerals and wakes. And we wait and people just, they haven't said anything to the loved one. They wait until they're dead. I know it's kind of morbid. When are we actually going to be a people that share that stuff? You know, one of my favorite things to do as a family is that we talk about when it's a birthday, when something big's going on, we love to gather around and talk about what that person means to us, the influence that they've had, because those are words and things that we take, they go inside the jar, and they're things that we take, those people take forever, we take forever, it's a little slice of heaven, it's the way things are supposed to be. So, in closing this morning... How are we, are we pre-deciding our commitments to worship regularly? Are we pre-deciding about praying for other people on a regular basis? How about fellowshipping with the body? Have we made a commitment as parents for the spiritual lives of our children? Can I give you one? This is mind-boggling. The Barna Group came out with this, this research. If a child is the first person in a family, right, to come to know Christ... The chances that the rest of the family, the chance that the rest of the family will come to know Christ, you know what the percentage is? Three percent chance that the rest of the family will. If the mom is the first one in the family to come to know Christ, that number jumps up to 17%. Now, if a father is the first person in a family to come to know Christ, there is a 91% chance, according to the Barna Group, that the rest of the household will become Christians. I'm here to challenge you, fathers. You are, there is so much at stake in terms of what we're doing with our kids. The spiritual lives train up a child in the way they should go. When they're older, they won't depart from it. We are depositing memories. We, every single decision, our kids are watching. They're watching. Even my Father's Day card this morning, I'm not, not going to get all personal and tell you everything in it. But it was amazing the things that my oldest noticed about me. And I said, oh my gosh, this kid sees and knows and understands this already at such a young age. May we take that seriously. Our job as parents. Let me leave you with this story. This, is, uh, this happened in Atlanta. This was this past year. Some of, music team, you can work your way out. Uh, in Atlanta, there was a boy named Willie Myrick. And Willie Myrick was kidnapped right on his own property, right in front of the house. Nine-year-old boy, kidnapped, right? He's kidnapped. He's taken by the kidnapper. He's in a car. They're driving for three hours. You can't make this up. This kid was raised in a Christian home. His parents went to a Baptist church. And in the car, right, he had learned from his dad when he was young a song, Every Praise is to Our God. This is how this, it, the song goes. Every praise is to our God. Every praise is to our God. Praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. The kid is in the car. He sang the song for three hours. The whole time, little Willie, nine-year-old Willie, is sitting in the car, and the kidnapper saying, Stop, will you shut up? I don't want to hear the song anymore. Will you stop? The kid, all he knew was to do was, was to look up to God and to look up to heaven, and he sang the song over and over, and eventually the kidnapper said, get, drop, pulled over, and said, get out of the car! 
I shudder to think what would have happened if this kid, well, I'm, I'm not saying, look, just because he's raised in a Christian home, but hey, make no mistake about it, that saved the boy's life probably. I mean, that's unbelievable. How important it is, how important it is the duty that we have as parents and how we raise our kids. And may you not forget as we come to this table now, may you not forget that every single day, every single moment, every single decision, we're putting memories in the jar for our spouse, our kids, what have you. Memories. And you know what? Maybe you're a person as you come to this table. I know for some of you, Father's Day is not an easy day. It's not an easy day, right? You come here and you say, I'm, you know, I didn't have the father that you had, James. Yeah, your life's pretty easy. Nice when Pastor Joe is your dad. There's no perfect family. He was not perfect by any means. Nobody's perfect. There is only one that is perfect. Only one was perfect, and his name is Jesus. And if there is real pain in your heart, guess what? This table is for you. If there is sorrow in your heart, this table is for you. If there are wounds in your heart, this table is for you. If there were words that were said to you by your father that you can't let go of, I would tell you there is healing at this table for you. There can be restoration for you at this table. If you have a wayward child, somebody that's out there and your relationship with your own kids isn't good, I would say there's healing at this table. I would say miracles still happen. I would say you need to believe when you come up to this table and pray to Almighty God that He hears you, He knows where you are, and this could be the day that things change in that situation. We don't have to wait till tomorrow. Things could change right now. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Hey, listen. Listen. It doesn't matter what's already been put in the jar. That's in the past. And you say, you know what? Oh, the pain I even caused my own kids. Join the club. Join the club. What about as you move forward? What are you going to do? You are a new creation. Christ lives on the inside of you. Whatever things that you want to change about yourself, I want to be a better dad. I'm addicted in this way. I'm a workaholic, whatever it may be. Realize happiness and change is an inside job. We're changed from the inside out. Watchman Nee, right? What does he always, always talk about? Pastor Linda has said this for years. You have to admit you're powerless to make those changes. You, that doesn't mean you set, your, you set yourself. You set a foundation. Whatever it is, you look to different things. You know what? Let's just call it like it is. Through Bible study, through prayer, through fellowship. That's what happens. That It's in the midst of that that we become a people that start to change. We can't make the flower actually grow. God does that, but we water it and we take care of it. And then you watch it grow. It changes. You come up to this table with faith to believe. And if it's not there, Lord, I just pray right now for your people. Lord, I pray for heavy hearts in this room. I pray for people that that say, you know what? You don't know what my situation is like. For 20, 30 years, maybe they're estranged from their kids. Maybe their parents passed and they didn't have a wonderful relationship and there's regret. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you redeem and you restore I thank you that ultimately there will come a day where there is no more pain, there is no more sorrow, there is no more fear, there is no more anxiety, there is only love. Love, Lord. Fill this place with love. Fill this place with hope. Fill this place with your mercy. Fill this place, Lord, with your grace. May we believe it as we come to this table. Amen. Ushers. Yes, Lord, that's our cry this morning. Heal our distorted pictures of what a father is. You're such a good, good
again. Prayer is over here. May you choose wisely this week. Have a great Father's Day. Enjoy. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.